Welcome to Wilderness Podcast, a passion project about wilderness and wild places, with your host, Adam Bronstein. Hello, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Wilderness Podcast. Before we jump into the new episode, I just wanted to take a little bit of time and reflect on the previous release, which I did with Christopher Ketchum on mountain bikes, recreation, and wilderness. So we talked about the push for opening wilderness areas uh, for mountain biking and why this is a bad idea, also why it's not supported by the Wilderness Act. So anyways, I just wanted to offer a correction. Uh, we, we vilified the International Mountain Biking Association uh, for this push, and it's actually the Sustainable Trails Coalition. Uh, these guys are the real culprits behind 1695 and the lobbying efforts with Mike Lee out of Utah. And to the credit of IMBA, they came out against opening wilderness areas. Um, there's plenty of blame to go around with IMBA. You know, they've really been a part of this access push and recreation push. Um, they're trying to get new trails into roadless lands all the time. You know, this latest push of, of opening up bikes into wilderness is really just a natural extension of this access push. So this death drive that we often talk about here on this program. And, uh, you know, it's really tough getting this message out. Um, industry has done an excellent job. They've captured many environmental groups out there today. Uh, the recreation industry is growing massively. And the more lands that they can open up to different forms of recreation, the larger their bottom lines. And we really have to educate ourselves. You know, we're being fed this propaganda that conservation is recreation or that recreation is conservation and it's very dangerous uh, indeed so we all have to be careful and to continue these discussions in this episode i interview stephen wood a self-described wilderness composer we talk about his childhood what it means to be a wilderness composer translating his wilderness experiences into music his time spent in Montana writing compositions and his many residencies. Stephen plays parts of his compositions from visiting the Okefenokee Wildlife Refuge in Georgia and his time spent in the Sayusla National Forest in Oregon in search of the northern spotted owl. And he walks us through what he was feeling when he was writing his music, which is really neat. We also discuss appreciating wilderness and drawing upon our wilderness experiences throughout our lives. I think this was a great episode to release during the holiday season and allows us to reflect on the wins we've had in the wilderness movement and sort of takes us out of the trenches a little bit. It was really nice talking to Stephen and just taking a break from all that. So I'm glad that uh, Stephen reminds us to slow down and to take some time to really reflect and appreciate what we have. So, Stephen, thanks for all the work that you do. I really enjoyed this conversation. And um, keep up what you're doing. And I hope everyone enjoys this uh, podcast. It was a real unique interview. All right, Stephen, welcome to Wilderness Podcast. Thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Very happy to be here. And where are you located? Uh, in Atlanta. Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah, yeah, right in downtown, actually. The wilderness of downtown Atlanta, Georgia. <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that. Every time I get back from a, you know, a big wilderness adventure or wilderness residency, I always, I often post a picture like from <laughs> the wilds of wilderness to the wilds of 
urban wilderness. <laughs> yeah, very good. So how long have you lived down in, in Atlanta for? Uh, it's been a minute. Um, you know, man, maybe like close to 12 years or so. And where did you move from? Uh, Ohio. Did you grow up in Ohio? I did. Yeah, I grew up in Delaware, Ohio, a small town north of Columbus. Uh, so kind of in central Ohio there. Yeah. Yeah. What was your What was your childhood like growing up there? Oh, all in all, it was a a good childhood. Um, you know, back then it was actually Delaware was actually a small town. Uh, so I grew up in pretty much kind of small town America. There's a nice little university there, a liberal arts university called Ohio Wesleyan. It's about 2,500 people there, uh, but we had a, you know, it, it had a music, pretty good music and theater and arts program. So was, we had that influence in the town, but the suburbs of Columbus hadn't expanded yet, you know, because it was growing up in the 80s. And so um, I still had kind of the small town life surrounded by cornfields and a lot of natural places so to speak so what do you do how would you describe yourself well uh i think most of what i'll be talking about tonight is uh um, i'm a wilderness composer where i compose wilderness uh pretty much inspired directly by federally designated wilderness areas okay you're the first wilderness composer that i've met do you know others i, I do know a handful of others actually um I might be the only one that designates myself as a wilderness composer, <laughs> but I, but there, there are, there's actually kind of a, a handful of us um, around the country that have kind of a, a small little movement actually um, that was formulated um, a couple of year, a handful of years ago uh, up in Alaska in Denali national park. So uh, we kind of do have a little small movement that's, formulated over the years into some significant events. What would you say is your collective experience? What do you guys all talk about and, and describe as your, your experience and your process? Well, it's a, a lot of times, the, the, the times that we've gotten together randomly, it's not like a formulated collective, but we've been lucky enough to do some events where a number of us have been together. Um, and, you know, many of us, we, we often just talk about how the beginnings of the inspirations, and this is me speaking personally too, the beginnings of the inspirations begin with the immersion of the wilderness experience um, or the landscape experience. Uh, many composers compose about landscape and that could even be in a city. Um, it all begins with the immersion, completely surrounding yourself to give you the space and the time to let that inspiration turn into music, whatever that may be, and to do it in its truest sense, uh, kind of without preconceived notions of what the initial core um, inspiration is coming from the wilderness area. So when someone listens to one of your pieces, do you think that they can hear wilderness or do you think it's more of just a a manifestation of your immersion there and sort of your, your own interpretation? Uh, hopefully both. <laughs> uh, but also I have been told, uh, I don't know what other people feel, but I, but I am often told that people can hear the wilderness areas. 
especially when I tell them the story. <laughs> right. when, I when I attach the story to it, um, which, which is a very important point. Uh, you know, when you're dealing with music, and I don't know if I'm getting a little ahead of myself, um, but when you're dealing with something as conceptual as just sounds, you know, things that can, one sound can, might not necessarily mean anything. I mean, middle C is middle C, you know? Uh, and so, but it's how you present that middle C that makes someone feel something. And so, so sounds, sounds you hear in, in nature or in wilderness areas, are you able to translate that? Uh, yeah, yes. Um, many, I, I, I believe I am and I, I do. And so do many other composers I've worked with. Um, we translate that through, I mean, you can actually translate it through the actual pitches, uh, the actual rhythms, um, you know, or the lack thereof. A lot of places are, well, not a lot, very few places have no sounds or, or pitches nowadays. Um, so there are lots of different uh, sounds that happen through, you know, bird calls, most common, uh, but even like water, uh, you know, wind, you know, just a lot, you know, the rustling of uh, sticks and leaves there's just a kind of an unlimited variety of rhythms and pitches that you can actually turn into to music um, but then there's also the feelings you know the feelings that arise and I think that's probably maybe what happens most of the time especially for me um, is and, I, and when I play some music and kind of talk a little bit more in depthly about that I'll definitely have some examples of where the, the feelings and the the, the relationship with the wilderness element or the plant uh, um, or the landscape has uh, has arisen in me and given me the inspiration. So, did you uh, did you go to college for music? Uh, yes, I did. I went to um, uh, let's see. I started off at University of Montana in Montana for my undergraduate degree in composition, and that was really probably kind of the beginnings of where I'm at now. And I didn't even know it. It wasn't something I was intending to do. It just kind of happened. One of the first pieces I ever wrote was uh, inspired by the, the pursuit to reintroduce grizzly bears into the Bitterroots. And I think one of the first things I did when I got to Missoula, like back in 96 was stuff envelopes as mailers uh, to send out information about you know, wanting to reintroduce them there. And so I wrote a string quartet, um, just a one movement piece about the grizzly bear and just kind of how I felt about it and the majesty and the royalty of how the bears are. And uh, so I spent a few years there in undergraduate um, and then, uh, you know, circumstances change as they often do. And I transferred back to um, Ohio State back in Ohio and uh, finished my degree there and then lived there for a while. And kind of pursued more jazz, a lot more jazz uh, influences, and composed a lot of music for small my small uh, quartets and quintets, and made a couple of CDs, and spent a handful of years there, uh, really developing my skills as a composer for small ensembles and improvisation and performance and gigging and everything like that, and then moved to Atlanta and eventually uh, down here went to Georgia State <clears throat> for a jazz studies degree, which is. I feel like that's important. That jazz influence is really important uh, for what I do now as a wilderness composer because of the language. Um, there's a, you know, knowing different 
knowing different musical languages just allows you to express yourself even more. So having both the classical background, knowing the classical language, which includes a variety of different styles of classical music over the eras, um, and then having a pretty diverse jazz language from, you know, anywhere from bebop to soul to uh, salsa to a lot of free, uh, free improvisation. I feel it's very important for being able to uh, interpret what you're feeling and especially in environments um, and kind of telling the story of wilderness. So we have a Montana connection and it sounds like you get a lot of your inspiration from your time out there. Do you go back to visit? Uh, I do. Yes, I, I, I try to go back as much as I can. I, I love Montana and, um, you know, trying to find ways to, to get there more permanently. Um, but I do go back and visit and I've done some pretty, pretty uh, significant and wonderful um, wilderness music projects there. Um, a couple of residencies and got to work with some schools in Missoula, some uh, middle schools and compose music for them about Bob Marshall and the Rattlesnake. Um, I did a residency with the Bob Marshall Wilderness Foundation's Artist Wilderness Connection Program with the Flathead National Forest. Spent two weeks at Pentagon Cabin back there. Um, it was just incredible. And uh, it was one of the first residencies I did. Uh, was that 2014, I think, in celebration of the 50th anniversary of the Wilderness Act. And so one of the, I composed two pieces for that residency for um, a middle school in, in Missoula. A friend of mine's the music teacher there. So we developed a really cool project where I spent a week in classes talking about developing music from nature uh, and from wilderness areas specific. And then they performed the music I composed for them, a three movement suite for strings for their eighth grade uh, string uh, orchestra. Um, and it's really incredible, really beautiful and uh, wonderful to work with them there. And then also composed a piece for that's actually on a CD I have now uh, called Untrammeled, and I could talk a little bit more about that later. But it was a saxophone quartet, and so that was also performed on the concert there. So I had two really, really wonderful experiences from the Bob Marshall residency. And then more recently, I was also artist in resident at the Absaroka um, Beartooths uh, through the ABWF there the foundation there, which I think that's how we got connected uh, is, is through uh, the, the work you're doing there. And I composed the symphony. I was uh, the Absaroka. It's called uh, where the crows sing of wildflower love and grizzly queens. Uh, so it's a big full orchestra romantic piece um, that you, uh, you can, it was performed. It was premiered in Atlanta last year. Uh, and so you can hear it on the website actually. And you've, uh, how have you been able to make a career out of your music? It seems like a, a tricky thing to do for anybody. Yeah, well, a career in the arts is a tricky thing to do no matter what you're doing. And then when you combine that with environmentalism, I think you're pretty much running up a creek. <laughs> yeah. Literally, on many occasions. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, well, I've, um, you know, I've, Basically, done what you know most musicians have to do. Uh, I have multiple facets, um, uh, you know, in the music industry that I work in. So, um, you know, I'm a, I've been a music teacher, 
uh, teaching private lessons for a handful of years. Uh, and um, so that was kind of like the core of me, and the core of my work and also allowed me to have kind of some more summers off, which would allow me to do residencies uh, and kind of do adventures because I had more time in the summer. Um, and then, but also gigging, <clears throat> you know, I've gigged around Atlanta and then, um, and uh, a couple projects I've done with um, the, with our residencies, wilderness at residencies, I've been very fortunate to uh, have grants involved and commissions uh, that have allowed me to, um, you know, actually get paid to go out in the wilderness and compose music. Um, and, uh, and along with those, I developed a, a, uh, uh, an educational program uh, for schools called Inspiring Stewardship. So that where um, I would basically just be a guest artist in the schools. And, uh, you know, I have a, a, a workshop program developed uh, specifically to give students tools about how to utilize the musical language to compose music from nature. And so that's been uh, a lot of fun and uh, pretty successful over the years. It's, it's uh, really been good work. So a number of those things, as well as, you know, you know, other various jobs here and there as well. What other wilderness related work have you done? One year I had a, uh, well, in relation to um, composing, um, I had a really big year uh, where I did a really cool project with the Daniel Boone National Forest in Kentucky. Um, and, you know, I'm really excited to, to share this experience because it was really exceptional. Uh, and it was a year long residency program that I created with the Daniel Boone. They don't have an existing program, like I mentioned with the Bob Marshall and Absaroka that you apply to. Uh, but um, I knew folks up there uh, who were interested in having um, an artist here do a residency through connections, you know, here in Atlanta, uh, and as well as through uh, my sister, who, who was doing work as an archaeologist uh, up in the Kentucky area, and knew folks at the Forest Service up there. Um, and so we did a year-long residency program uh, that was funded by the National Park uh, Foundation called Get Every Kid in the Park, um, where I, the goal was I used my Inspiring Stewardship program to tour uh, the, the schools <clears throat> around um, the, the Daniel Boone National Forest and the Red River Gorge uh, to um, talk about uh, my residency that I did uh, in the Red River Gorge and how I developed inspiration from uh, those beautiful cliffs and the Red River itself and the, the really dense, thick, uh, you know, Appalachian environment there. And uh, <clears throat> so that was a really exceptional experience where I got to spend two weeks in the Red River Gorge uh, doing field days with like wildlife biologists, with archaeologists, with historians, really learning about the area. Um, and then uh, developed a relationship with the, um, the uh, Lexington Youth Orchestra and composed them a uh, symphony um, for their winter concert. So that was a really exceptional experience to write the music for their youth symphony there about um, their basically local wilderness areas and recreation areas. Uh, but then in addition to that, in the Red River Gorge, they have a really, really cool uh, fall festival 
um, called Living Archaeology Weekend. And so for that festival, I composed a four-movement uh, string quartet um, and about di four different aspects of the Red River Gorge. Um, and we performed it live throughout the entire weekend. And um, I had like a table set up and talked about my residency experience and wilderness music and my experiences, you know, around the, the, the area there with the, the kids and the educational programs and stuff. Um, and so it was a really all encompassing program that uh, was really kind of a pinnacle of you know, my wilderness composing so far. It was really exceptional. You can hear some of that music on my website and my CD as well. You know, it's um, because I love to share it with people. So, yeah, well, uh, let's jump in your, into your music here in a little bit. But uh, what, what are you working on right now? Yeah. Um, so right now I'm a, a wilderness specialist uh, with the Southern Appalachian Wilderness Stewards. Um, I and. Uh, the Southern Appalachian Wilderness Stewards does is based in Asheville, but they have um, uh, they have programs all over the Southern Appalachia, from Virginia uh, now down to uh, Arkansas and uh, Louisiana, uh, where they're partnering with um, with the with the Forest Services there, uh, helping them manage the wilderness areas. You know, doing all levels. Of, of management support from trail crews to uh, ranger patrols and now wilderness specialists. Um, and so as a wilderness specialist, this is more of a office job where um, combined with, with field work and stuff, but I'm developing wilderness character monitoring reports, uh, which is a baseline report that kind of gathers data for an existing wilderness area uh, to put it in a library to facilitate, to create a baseline of where we're at, where the, where the health of the wilderness area is at, where the wilderness, how the wilderness character measures up and how um, it's being managed for the five wilderness qualities. Um, and so I'm doing four of those reports right now for North Georgia with the Chattahoochee National Forest. And it's kind of been a really, uh, a really wonderful transition from composing music about wilderness to doing actual wilderness data collection, wilderness field work, um, and helping the Forest Service, you know, uh, manage their wildernesses. Yeah, I should do an episode just on wilderness character monitoring. I think that would be a great topic to cover. Uh, so yeah, that's great. I'm glad you're you're busy with that and um any music projects going on right now yeah uh well this year obviously with covid the music industry has really suffered um so i was kind of i was blessed to have this transition to this you know new wilderness new wilderness job at the time when music was just you know not happening uh and so but it's slowly coming back um i yeah, I actually also do film scores. So being in Atlanta, you know, there's a big film scene here. So I'm doing a couple of film scores now that have nothing to do with wilderness or anything, which is actually kind of nice sometimes because uh, I get to compose different types of music. Um, but I'm happy some of that's coming back around. Uh, but I'm planning a project um, in, in, in conjunction with my wilderness character monitoring that I'm very excited about. 
um, that will hopefully uh, be able to be performed sometime next year if circumstances allow. Um, so wilderness, so music is happening on, di- on different levels. You want to take us through some of your pieces and talk about it? Sure. Um, okay. So this first piece um, is called uh, uh, Drosera, the morning dew of the sun. And uh, it uh, was inspired by one of the first wilderness residencies I did. Um, in 2014 uh, for the 50th anniversary of the Wilderness Act. And I designed a residency with uh, Okefenokee Wildlife Refuge in South Georgia. Uh, And that wildlife refuge is just an incredible swamp wetlands ecosystem. It's the second largest, I think, wilderness in the east of the Mississippi, the first one being the um, Everglades. Uh, I was very fortunate to be connected uh, with the Fish and Wildlife Service down there that manages it, and they were very interested in designing a residency program. And so I got to spend uh, a handful of days canoeing um, out in the swamp, staying on their platforms, uh, with the support of the Fish and Wildlife Service, um, as well as talking with some of the wildlife biologists down there, learning how um, swamp works, basically, and learning about the ecosystem and flora and fauna there um, that you wouldn't normally you wouldn't normally get those experiences as just a visitor. So the ode to the mosquito. Yeah, the ode to the mosquito. And actually, it was funny when we were designing it. They were like, "Okay, now we need to make sure we do it at a time before the mosquitoes really come out." Um, and, you know, but I don't, I don't know if we actually made that. Uh, and so that was that being the first, first wilderness residency I did, I would say that was a pretty epic place to do it at. Um, you know, I'd been backpacking my whole life, done canoe trips, you know, and, you know, I'm 43 now. So I guess at that time, what was I, 36 or something, um, and, uh, you know, I just had many, many experiences, you know, in mountains of the Appalachia, the Rockies, canoeing in Canada, all sorts of places, been to the Everglades and stuff. But the Okefenokee was truly a completely new experience. It was a, a, I had never been in a place as prehistoric and ancient and quiet you know, void of other people as I had in the Okefenokee. And, you know, I've been back numerous times since, and it is an extremely special place. And we should be so thankful it's protected. You know, as usual, there's current threats, of course, you know, as there always are to wilderness areas from places for, from outside them. But inside it is, you know, as you put one of your first paddle in it and you feel like you've gone back 10,000 years. And so that really kind of changed, changed something inside of me. And so this piece of music <laughs> is, is about one of, those, one of those little things that you can notice when you're able to slow down experience like that. Um, the Drosera is, in the name of the piece, is a small um, carnivorous plant. Um, and, you know out there you're surrounded by some very large 
uh, uh, carnivorous creatures. <laughs> you know, alligators are everywhere. Um, and I saw very many, very large alligators that I was afraid to move in my canoe um, from them being too close to me. And, uh, and then one day I was out on, in the, in, I was like in my second or third day and was pretty in the middle of the, of, the, of the wilderness area on one of the swamp prairies. And uh, I had my camp set up on the platforms there and was just kind of letting myself drift around the prairie um, in the canoe. And the water was high, so it was, it was relatively easy to get around. And I was kind of just drifting, just letting letting things wash over me. Just, I mean, you could see for miles, just flat, open swamp with lily pads and uh, uh, bay bay bushes and um, these little little wax flowers that come up through the swamp. And I looked down and. I noticed this tiny little red plant and I was like, what, what is that? I mean, it was the size of like a quarter just sitting on a piece of floating grass. And, you know, I just looked over and I saw it and I saw these little paws around the base of it. Uh, and I remembered it was, it was this carnivorous plant that I had seen in one of the guides before I went out into the swamp and it was the Drosera and I immediately just got excited and I just let myself uh, be immersed in how that plant lived its life. Not, not like thinking about the, the biological aspects or the, or the chemical aspects um, because I don't really know that anyways. Uh, just letting myself observe the way it was right then. And that's kind of how I came about um, the, the, the feelings and the auras and the vibes for this piece of music, and which I, I can play some right now and we can kind of go through it. Uh, it's for three clarinets. And I'm going to play the initial few seconds of it. Um, that is the basis for the groove of it. It's kind of like the, the texture and the feelings and the coloration of the music that relates to and I can talk a little bit about that. So. So that's, that's kind of the intro to it. Um, and, you know, when I was thinking of the music for the plant, I was, and I was thinking about kind of the personality of the plant. I was envisioning it kind of just sitting there quietly, humbly, just living a happy life amongst the grasses and floating on the swamp and, just kind of having a groove, you know, saying, hey, I'm here. You know, this is me. And its coloration was a warm red, 
you know, it had some like orange hues to it and, you know, verging on a little darker red. So it was just kind of like this warm groove just sitting there. Do, 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 you know. And so I kind of just let myself ride with that. And uh, so I wanted to set the piece up with that, you know. And so that's kind of where that that all started, Jersera. Um, but then, you know, when you look around a prairie, the swamp prairie, and, you know, it could be similar to like, you know, a Great Plains prairie or, you know, the, you know, the grasses, everything, everything goes up, you know, and there were these little, little wax, uh, little wax covered plants, uh, that have, that are also red, but have little yellow pointy flower tops on them. Uh, and you know, they just poke up everywhere. And these, the, even the Drosera has a central, um, central flower that, uh, doesn't have any leaves on the stem, but it just extends up through the gra- gla- grasses as, you know, just this solitary being trying to reach the open air so that the bees can come and pollinate. It's just kind of making its way. It's 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 got its little paws down to collect the bugs and get its nitrogen and uh, and and other elements that it can't get from the soil because there is no soil. It's a swamp and it's peat, and then it just extends up into the air. And when you look around on the prairie, everything's just kind of bubbling up. Like the water's not bubbling, but the the peat moss is bubbling up. The 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 uh, plants are coming up you know even sometimes the alligators they just come up and they drift on top and so i wanted to have something that um you know kind of exuded that 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 sense of arising and that's where this little next motive motive came from So that little that little movement upwards, but then you got that low bass clarinet uh, that really kind of speaks to the depthness of the swamp because it's just black water. Anyone that's spent any time in the Panhandle of Florida or Southern Georgia knows about the tannin of the water, and it could be you know six inches deep and you couldn't see the bottom, uh, and so that bass clarinet put it all really, really, um, you know, kind of puts that in there. Uh, and so I had all these, you know, just everything just kind of moving up, you know, uh, and then I want to bring in the melody. Now this melody is the song of Drosera. It's, it's that, that flower I just described, like reaching up, constantly reaching up, trying to, trying to, reproduce basically and let let its let its life extend on but yet it has this humble existence so it kind of just falls back down sometimes and then it reaches back up and then it just falls back down and just kind of dancing in the wind floating across the top of the swamp while everything is bubbling up and while there's it's just this groove underneath it mm-hmm. 
that's kind of the song of the Drosera. Um, so those are the kind of the basic elements of, of this wilderness composition. Um, and, you know, I can keep going or if you have any questions at any time, you know, feel free to, to, to ask me, um, you know, but, the, but those are, I feel like those are so interesting and I'm, I'm really excited to be talking about this right now because I don't often get the opportunity to go so in depth uh, about this. Yeah, it's a unique opportunity for me too and the audience. Uh, this is a topic that I wouldn't have thought I would have covered when I first started. So this is great. You never know where these things go, right? Right. Um, yeah, because the you know the elements of, of creativity can oftentimes be so obscure and so personal. Um, and they often don't come out to the audience and, you know, which is, which is fascinating to me sometimes too, because then I get to hear what the audience um, perceives, you know, because, uh, you know, it is, it is music. There's, you know, it's not like a painting that is a literal painting where you can see it and, you know, it's a mountain or it's the actual depiction of a Jurassera and like, Oh yes, that's what it is. Um, you know, so I love hearing what people think and how they interpret it. Uh, if they haven't heard the specific story or if they do hear the specific story and they interpret it a different way, feel different things. I think that's beautiful and fascinating. Um, but to be able to share how the, these musical elements were developed from very specific natural elements uh, is, is really exciting for me. I guess like the next the next portion of the song and some of these other portions I can keep going. Um, you know, every every piece of music, you know, and every piece of art, you know, I feel is, is telling a story in one way or another. Um, and whether it's you know, a literal story or a story that's yet to be developed, um, and so I like to when when I compose, I like to you know have have that storyline there with beginnings and ends and trans transitions. And, you know, so I can have these literal elements, but then I'm also, you know, I honor my audiences. I want my audience to, to, to have um, that, that experience of the story. So I could include uh, musical elements to, to provide for the story, like this little transition. This is, the, I, I think this is a really cool transition here. So that was just like, you know, kind of expounding upon the feelings that I was having from my time with the Drosera. Uh, that was more of like a feeling element where it wasn't something literal. Um, it was just a, a way to move the story along, just like that happens in the wilderness, just like that happens along the trail. You know, you could be canoeing through the Okefenokee and, you know, you've seen a number of things and you know the, the the scenery is kind of maybe even getting redundant and then like you go around the corner and like oh wow that's new i haven't seen that before or maybe maybe the uh there, there's a little turn you know and there's a new type of tree or the trees look different you know uh, things like that and so you know th that's kind of fun to be able to throw those elements in the story and then adapt and transition and utilize your musical language you know utilize the craft 
okay, and we're about to round that corner. We just had some variation along the canoe trail uh, out the main canal, and we round a corner, and all of a sudden, there's uh, a brand new uh, cypress stand or there's uh, a brand new twist and turns of all the gangly bay trees and everything like that. And then things open up a little bit and we get back out into the prairie and things start bubbling up and there's all the plants and we find maybe another Drosera. Right? And things get a little weird, maybe sometimes, you know, you run into uh, a, a, a new situation and you know it might be a little hairy maybe there's an alligator there like coming directly at you or maybe you're having to uh, navigate a blowdown uh and you're having to duck under all these branches or you're noticing a new uh, geological feature and you know there's just lots of twists and turns then it comes back together uh um, you know into it and you know this next section is where we move the melody down below the water we give the bass clarinet it's kind of feature uh, in a way that's not scary you know because you might find you're nose to nose with an alligator or a giant snapping turtle or anything but in a way that you know it's just the swamp life it's just kind of the, the essence of the swamp and we're giving voice to that bass clarinet <laughs> Yeah, so that's that's the story of the Drosera spatulata that lives in uh, the middle of the Okefenokee wilderness. Yeah, there you go. Thanks for the tour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh God, I, I, I'm I'm ready to go back. Like now, now I'm nostalgic. <laughs> <laughs> I did a trip down to oh, it was the Everglades in college some friends and i loaded up my chevy blazer with our kayaks and went down for a week and uh, we camped on those platforms yeah 
It wasn't quite the same area that you went, but I'm I'm thinking back on that time, and it was uh, definitely unlike the uh, the mountains of Montana, <laughs> but uh, wilderness in its own right for sure. It is, you know, that's that's one of the most beautiful things about wilderness. I think and the the Wilderness Act, you know, facilitating that is that it's it's not about one perception of wilderness. The the diversity of you know ecosystems in you know wildernesses around the country is just so immense and vast and inspiring um that each wilderness area seems to have its own personality its own characteristics uh, and own reasons for being protected and we can think about each of those places and the experiences we've had and draw upon them throughout our lives and I, I find myself uh, just flashing back to different trips and different wilderness areas sort of randomly. I can't necessarily say what the trigger was, but uh, all those experiences live with me and they're, they, I carry them with me everywhere. Yeah, they do. Uh, find myself doing the same thing, like even just now, just, especially if I go back and listen to some of the music I've written or what other people write, it, it really takes me back to those places. You know, I find I find it kind of doing the same thing as I'm doing my wilderness character monitoring work too. Uh, it's it's in many ways I feel like it's another residency in a sense, you know, where I'm able to dive into a specific wilderness area. Uh, you know, I've got four of them, but in this case, actually, I'm finishing up a report for Blood Mountain Wilderness uh, in in North Georgia and. Um, you know, what I've learned from there and how I've gone about, you know, doing my reports is, is very similar to an artist residency in a way um, to where I'm kind of feeling the wilderness, you know, I'm developing a relationship with it and I'm understanding the, the scientific work that is uh, going into trying to take care of these places and to take care of them honoring the Wilderness Act so that they can continue to live their own lives, you know, untrammeled uh, and natural conditions and free from most developments and for people to experience solitude. And, you know, it's, it's in, in many ways, it, it's similar to doing a composition, you know, I feel like, you know, even sometimes creativity is allowed, you know, not creativity and, you know, bending data or anything like that. But, you know, we have to write descriptions. We have to write narratives of the wilderness where we talk about intangible elements, um, you know, that the, the wilderness has, things that can't be measured by science. And so, you know, going back to what we expressed a little before with wilderness character monitoring, it's, a, it's really a fascinating balance between, you know, scientific data, monitoring you know life and how it's free from our threats with you know intangible element elements that we feel as humans you know that are reasons for protecting these natural areas from ourselves so i find it a very interesting dichotomy but also extremely expiring and rewarding Okay, do you have anything else you want to play or? Yeah, um, 
you know, if there's time, I do have actually one more composition that I could uh, kind of that, that I could go through a little bit. Sure, go for it. It is called You Are Owling. This was actually just composed last year. Uh, it was premiered last fall. Uh, and it was about um, my experience last summer in Oregon, um, accompanying my wife on her research assistantship, her Native American research assistantship with the Northern Spotted Owl bioacoustic team on the Sioux Slaw National Forest. She was out there summer out there during the summer doing field work, uh, deploying um, audio recording units. What part so, of the Sioux were you were you on? We were all over the coastal range. Um, so in a couple of the, basically uh, up and down from, you know, Corvallis and Newport south to uh, where all the dunes start there. So we were kind of- Florence, all, yeah, Florence. Yeah, so, we were, so we were kind of all over and we would go all, all over. The, and she spent all summer doing it. And so I went out there and really had a wonderful time, you know, volunteering. Uh, to not only kind of like, you know, help her a little bit, because the interesting part about this is uh, she was pregnant with our daughter. We just had, a, we just had our first, uh, first child. Um, and so she spent all last summer, you know, uh, tromping around, you know, the wilderness, both wilderness areas and, other, you know, all the other forests, you know, as you know, developing our daughter. It's really, really incredible. And so it was wonderful to go out there and join her during that time. And then also to have that experience myself of being part of a bioacoustic owl team. And so this next composition is kind of about that, about um, the kind of the perception of owls, you know, particularly the northern spotted owl because it's so elusive. Um, about the landscape, um, and then about seeing an owl. Like you do all this work and you go through this really, you know, heinous landscape. You know, it sounds like you've been to the Sea of Slaw and like you must know how harsh and how rough that terrain is. And so going off trail there to, you know, do this scientific work to monitor the health of these owls. Uh, and, you know, and then getting a chance to see without seeing one for months and maybe even never seeing one and then kind of, and having that in your mind of what it's like, of what they are like and who they are. And then finally seeing one. Some really thick vegetation. If there's any yeah. kind of disturbance or any logging, I mean, that vegetation is just rough. And then you have the, uh, the ravines and, um, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's quite the place. Yeah, it is. Um, and actually, give a, I, I want to give a shout out to my wife, Lauren Polanski, uh, because she was actually just featured by the Wildlife Society um, for her work last summer and you know, doing it you know, as a woman while she was you know, pregnant and growing our daughter and uh, really you know, being a, a, a powerful in, in that whole process. And she's actually featured on her website, um, and uh, so you can go there uh, and, and read about her story. And so this piece of music kind of comes out of that a little bit, not expressing, you know, what, what she, you know, her story, but expressing the, the relationship with the owls. 
And so maybe if I can go there now where beginning this piece, it was similar a little bit to Drosera uh, in the sense where I wanted to set something up. I wanted to set up a, um, a feeling, you know, I wanted to set up like kind of where the owls might live, like their home and maybe even some of that human perception. So I was thinking about, you know, a lot of times owls are eerie, you know, we think of them maybe as these wise creatures or, you know, I remember my first experience with the owls was from the rats of Nim, you know, Mrs. Brigsby and that old wise owls crunching on those, you know, skeletons and, you know, and marching through those, you know, cobwebs and everything and in those trees. And, you know, I feel like maybe sometimes that's, that's still part of, you know, how humans perceive owls that, you know, they're elusive and in the night. And so I'm gonna play this kind of beginning. hear about them these northern spotted owls i've heard so many stories they're just gentle creatures they're like cats they're they're creatures who are, who are dangerous who are threatening our lives our livelihood you know different different perceptions people have of these owls and so i just kind of wanted to sit in that for a second and so that the piece kind of goes through that and then it kind of moves through a little transition, you know, as music does, as stories do. something we see something flutter by 
you know, our eyes, the corner of our eye. And, you know, we're hoping, we're waiting, like, is that the owl? We're anticipating, we've done all this trudging, we've done all this tromping, we've spent the entire month deploying these ARUs, like trying to help the owls. And we have this mystery in us. We want to know what they're like. We want to see them. And finally, something might be happening. so big and bold and beautiful and then it's gone and goes into the distance and here we are <clears throat> stuck back in the landscape this next section is about the brutality of what it's like to be a human in <clears throat> that coastal range there <laughs> I'm in pain now just listening to that, uh, you know, feeling the, the, all the brambles, the blackberry brambles, the, the, the soft uh, ground that has pits you fall into, the, the hidden logs that hit your shins. Like, you know, it's just a brutal environment. And so that's, that's some of you are owling and the, the different experiences you can have out there and that we had in Oregon and that, you know, that was kind of centered around the owl and that it's kind of that mystery that, that they have. And so we get, you can 
you can hear more of that on my website. Uh, it's up there. People can just listen to it. Uh, this same recording, the live performance, but that just kind of gives a taste of, of one of my most recent compositions. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. It brought me out there. I was just there last weekend. So oh, cool. it, uh, it brings me right back. Um, well, what's your, uh, what's your website, Stephen? It's uh, stephenwoodmusic.com. Is there anything you'd like to close out with? Any thoughts? Um, well, I'd like to share that, you, you know, you can have some of this music on uh, my Wilderness CD, Untrammeled. Uh, you can hear the first piece, um, Drosera, that I shared. That's on there. That recording I shared is actually from the CD. Um, and so, you know, you can get that in different forms. You can email me. I can mail you hard copies. You can download them as well um and then you know anything else i would just say some thoughts you know wilderness is out there and uh you know it's up to us to to make sure it's still still protected we kind of need to protect it from ourselves you know so that we can not just do things like this you know create art from it you know to you know and to enjoy it for recreation Recreation to see actually seems to be one of the biggest threats to wilderness nowadays. But these places need to exist. They need to live for themselves because there's more to this planet than us humans. And we need to really understand that. And that's what wilderness does. And it allows for that understanding to happen for future generations. So I was just, we need to keep protecting it. And we need to keep fighting for it and learning about it and doing the good work. Oh, great. Thanks for your closing thoughts. And it's uh, this was a great episode. I really enjoyed talking to you and listening to your music, learning about your process. And yeah, it was really unique, definitely a unique thing. So I'm glad we could get the audio worked out. And this was a, a perfect conversation for a podcast. It worked out well. Oh, good. Yeah, I was, I was, I listened to your podcast. And so <laughs> when we connected and, you know, you invited me on here, I was, I was, I was honored to be, to be able to present this amongst uh, so many great minds that you, that you talk with. Uh, so I'm humbled uh, to be here and, you know, what you're doing as well is, is really good work. I mean, getting the messages out there and, uh, you know, sort of for, for Thank you. to listen to uh, in-depthly allowing us to have these extended conversations. Yeah, it's not always pretty, but like you said, you know, we have to fight sometimes. So I, I wish it could all be pretty. Yeah. I wish it could just be a celebration of wilderness. And uh, that's that's what I went into it thinking. But um, yeah. it turns out uh, it's never it's never quite that way. There's some things that are worth fight, fighting for. And this is a hill that I'm willing to die on. So yeah, me too. And hopefully... You know, my music, though, and other people's music and art can help contribute to the celebration, though, like because it does deserve to be celebrated. And, you know, we fight the good fight every day and, you know, a couple times a year. We got to we got to step back and celebrate a little bit. Yeah, very good. All right. Thanks, Stephen. I appreciate your time and uh, we'll we'll stay in touch. So have a have a great winter. All right. Thank you so much. You too. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wilderness Podcast. You can find us online at wildernesspodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe through your podcasting app. If you'd like to support this podcast, please visit wildernesspodcast.com backslash support. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.